Now, what am I good at? I can shred on the drums, and I'm a marketing whiz. Okay, Venom, reel it in. Reel it in this time, all right? Reel it in. Reel it in slow and steady. I'm Parker Dietz. I'm Tom Logan. And you're listening to Reel It In, the podcast for marketers who like other stuff too. Between privacy updates, rising ad costs, and changing consumer preferences, running an effective direct response ad campaign these days can be very difficult if you don't know what you're doing. Luckily, we know someone who does. Ryan Colpitz is the co-founder and CEO of Power Media, a direct response advertising agency that is helping brands uncover and understand the insights they need to grow their businesses through advertising. Constructing an effective paid ad strategy is a great way to edge out your competition. But do we all really need to be so competitive? Yesterday I saw a UPS driver and a FedEx driver pass each other on the street. They fist bumped. It was beautiful. I cried. For the second time that day. Maybe if we all got along like those two delivery drivers, the world would be a happier place. And maybe my Halloween costume will actually arrive in time for me to wear it on Halloween. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pitch a costume-themed Thanksgiving dinner again, and I don't think Grandma's going to like that very much. Anyway, let's get rolling. Here's our interview with Ryan Kolpitz from Power Media, talking about direct response advertising, the content you're using in it, testing philosophies, and how to think about the ads you're serving at various stages of the funnel. Let's go. All right, welcome back to Reel It In. It's good to see both of you today. Tom and I are joined by our good longtime friend of Coley, Ryan Kolpitz from Power Media. Ryan, how are we doing today? Doing excellent, thanks for having me. Of course, yeah, we relish any opportunity to, to chat with you. Uh, we agree on a lot of things, which, uh, you know, typically is a bad thing. You know, you don't want to agree with with everyone in the room, but uh, it makes us feel good. Um, and it's good to see you. It's not it's actually the second time I'm seeing you today, because when I tried to exit out of your website, I got hit with this really sweet pop up ad that has you in it uh, holding a whistle. Uh, the whistle was kind of glowing. Um, like a gem of some sort. Yeah. Can we talk about that? USB flash drive. Hmm. I thought it was a whistle because it was like a it was like a playbook or like a um, it was like a guide. So I thought you were like the coach. Oh, it's because we were just talking about Ted Lasso. It's a Ted Lasso thing, clouding your mind. <laughs> I, I did buy a whistle on Amazon last night for my Ted Lasso costume. For exactly. Halloween, so it was exactly. very top of mind. Yeah. Parker, are you intimidated that we have a fellow podcast host on with us? It's a bit of a challenge. Uh, yeah terrified honestly you can't, <laughs> can't tell by my chipper demeanor but i am just i'm over here shaking waking. in your boots yeah. yeah um i got some butterflies in the basket new to the game so uh so we'll be uh feeding off each other here so it'll be good yeah and if anything goes goes wrong we'll just cut it out like usual podcasting is a beautiful is a beautiful medium for that um but but yeah the reason we wanted to have you on other than uh we like hanging out with you is because at power you're doing a lot of cool things and thinking about paid media in, in some really interesting ways and through working 
indirectly and directly with you through Coley clients, um, you know, we've, we've come to know that you are, are sort of a whiz in that realm. And right now it's, it's super top of mind for marketers given the, the iOS changes and the ad prices, ad costs are rising. And so we wanted to bring you on today and kind of get your take on, on a variety of different things and, and hopefully put some, some strategy, some tips out there that, that our listeners can walk away with and, and implement in, in their own um, campaigns. Before we uh, do that, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself and, and Power Media and what you guys are doing over there? I mean, we know you, but uh, I don't want to mess up any of the details here. Yeah, 100%. So uh, obviously, my name is Ryan Kulpitz. I am the founder at Power Media. Uh, basically, Power Media is a direct response advertising agency. We focus mainly on the acquisition side of uh, direct consumer brands and uh, scaling up paid traffic and other channels as well um, to help them grow, um, grow sustainably, and do that at a cost where they can be profitable on the front end. Most of the brands that we work with are uh, small businesses, so it's really important that they are profitable on the front end while acquiring customers. And so um, working with a bunch of different niches, verticals, um, you know, you see different challenges um, and, and, you know, there's a lot more to growing acquisition than just pushing out ads, right? Pushing buttons. And um, I think right now in the, where we're at with everything that's going on with iOS, it's really forcing everyone to become better marketers and really look at things from a big picture point of view, which I think is a good thing. I think it's definitely a challenge, especially for people that are just getting started because it's hard enough when you have clean data. Um, and when, you know, that, that gets messy, then obviously it's, <clears throat> it's quite challenging, but, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think where we, uh, kind of try and differentiate or where we, we feel we differentiate is, uh, helping brands put together a good solid strategy for creating content, planning content, um, and, and really kind of pushing that out there. Um, and then as well on the back end trying to do as good of a job as we can right now at getting a clean idea of, of what's going on from a data perspective, because at the end of the day, media buying and, and you know, acquisition, all these things, it all comes down to decision making and, um, and being able to kind of adapt strategy as you go based on data that's coming in. And if that data is skewed, then it's really hard to do that. Yeah. And you, you bring up iOS and data, and I think we should just, we should just jump into it, get it out of the way. Everyone right now seems to have this a lot of people at least have this chicken little mentality. Sky is falling with, with Facebook. Um, it's becoming a lot harder to acquire a customer like profitably on, on Facebook, given these the iOS changes are, are a major contributing factor. Um, with, with that, I wonder, because you know Facebook ads have traditionally been your, your bread and butter, what are, what are your thoughts and predictions for this wave of, of iOS updates? And like, if any, like what, what things are you and the team doing to, to circumvent them um, and, and still help your clients like acquire customers, you know, generally profitably? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, where obviously where we're at right now, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to track, to um, retarget, to optimize these things through machine learning, which has been, uh, which we've been blessed with for a while. And so the biggest thing right now is before, you know, going out and, and test it crazy, all these different channels, you know, whether it's paid social, whether it's 
podcasts, YouTube, you know, whatever, whatever channels um, a brand is looking at testing. It's really setting up a solid system for tracking, reporting, you know, all it, some, there's, there's different platforms out there you can use for attribution. Um, some of them could be quite expensive, but uh, at the bare minimum, having UTM set up and looking at things in Google Analytics and trying to draw conclusions between, you know, what Google what Google Analytics is showing, what the ads managers are saying, because right now it's you can't even make good decisions based off like the Facebook ads manager. Um, it's pretty much useless on a lot of the accounts that we manage. And so, basically, having a good framework set up for reporting and attribution, so you at least have as good you know as good of an idea as you possibly can that you have accurate data, somewhat accurate data, so you can actually um, make good decisions. Um, and then after that, once that's set up, having a good like framework for testing um, and, and reporting everything from naming, naming conventions on paid campaigns, um, pulling that into some sort of reporting uh, platform, whether it's Google Sheets, you know, whether you look at Google Analytics, Data Studio, whatever it might be. Um, but it, really having a good framework for testing uh, different angles, uh, different creatives, testing you know different platforms, um, and uh, and basically, obviously, it's it's important because if you if you once you find something that that works, you want to go deep on it, right? You want to double down on it and figure out exactly why it is working, so that you can do more of what's working. And if you don't understand exactly why some, something's working, it's hard to run different, very specific tests that are going to um, either prove or disprove your, your hypothesis on running different split tests. And um, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's super important to have a, a, a good plan and a good strategy, but no strategy is going to just be perfect every time. There's, there's always optimization, there's always um, you know, making tweaks and edits to improve on those results, and uh, and so um, having good framework, good reporting, and, and is super important. And we're we're you know spending a lot of time right now trying to make sure that all those things are set up properly. Um, and then also, you know, right now, you know, with iOS 15 coming out on the email side and what's happened on the the paid traffic and through apps. Um, really getting to know your customers at a very deep, intimate level and getting a good process in place for gap from your customers uh, so that you can use those insights to create content that's going to be entertaining, relevant, and, uh, and really position your products in a way to help them. Um, that goes with, uh, you know, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. A lot of people run like post-purchase surveys, but there's tools and platforms out there to run pre-purchase on website surveys. And basically that data can be mapped back to uh, people that are buying. You have information on, and you can tailor those, those experiences um, even before someone, someone checks out. And you can exchange discounts for people completing the surveys, which a lot of people do anyways, right? They have those pop-up uh, on their websites where people enter their email and get a discount. You can customize that so you gather information before you give the discount. And that's, you know, those are insights that you can use moving forward to tailor marketing um, to, you know, Im improve uh, paid, organic, and everything in between. So um, that's definitely, uh, th those three things are definitely uh, super important. And building communities as well is, is what we're really pushing 
our customers to do outside of these paid channels because um, as, as we know, it's, uh, it's getting kind of, it, not scary, but for brands that are all in on one platform, it's definitely, uh, definitely would be nerve wracking if I was in that position. Ryan, could you talk a little bit more about the attribution piece? So how has attribution changed with iOS? And then what are, or how do some of these technology partners come in and, and provide like the full scope, you know, one week view of, of actual like ad attribution? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so basically because of like with Apple's update, Apple is forcing apps to, um, allow users to not be tracked if they don't want to be tracked. And if they can't be tracked, then it has to be the, the data that's coming in is, is modeled, right? It's uh, aggregated from statistical modeling. And so um, even if even if like the the total values, like let's say your per, your total purchases on a day, your total return ad spend on a day is, is somewhat accurate, the data within the breakdowns of where what ads, what ad sets are coming from, like it's all being modeled. So you can't really, um, it's getting really hard to make decisions based off that information. And so there's there's a large portion of people are, are opting out of tracking, right? Because it's, you know, if, if you can be tracked or you cannot be tracked, most people are saying, well, well I don't need to be tracked. So, which makes complete sense, obviously. But um, these these softwares, these tools, basically what they do is they, they plug in at every different, on every different platform, on your website. And so, and, and they basically, um, so all these platforms can kind of talk to each other through these softwares, through these tools. Um, a few of them are like Hyros, Wicked Reports, uh, Rockerbox, I think it's another one. But basically they, they work together um, and, and provide more accurate um, reporting. Mind you, these are, some of these tools are, are quite expensive depending on where you're at in terms of uh, revenue. Um, but you don't necessarily need them, you know, just having basic UTM set up and understanding how UTM tracking works and where, you know, where you're going to be looking at that data, how you're going to break it down. Um, is a lot better than just having the, uh, the, the ad platforms reporting on their own because it's, uh, it's quite literally useless. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's like having a data scientist on your marketing team has become so so important and probably a lot of people have been advocating that for years but uh tim cook and the gang really accelerated it and it seems like like being able to even know who you're speaking to has become such a such a valuable aspect of, of like a successful marketing organization or it will be um you know in the years to come so you mentioned earlier that that testing is a is a really important part um in in trying to combat these challenges brought on with the with the tracking restrictions i guess part of that is but to be able to test you need a lot of content and you've always been an advocate of like really high volume creative inflow um generating a bunch of diverse content uh, and testing it so focusing now just more so on the on the creative um side of things the creative output why is having that creative inflow so important and like i guess what would a brand risk by limiting their content production or not investing in in producing large amounts of content yeah i mean 
I think right now, um, I mean, it's even before iOS content was extremely important because especially for brands that live online on digital, don't have a big retail presence um, or maybe they do, but regardless, you know, these platforms are entirely content based and mostly visually con visual content based. Uh, and so whether you're looking at the organic side or the paid side, we know that not all content that's created is going to be perform equally. It's not all going to resonate. It's not all going to be good. A lot of the content that gets created doesn't even see the light of day. Um, and so if we're looking at things just from a paid side, then the risks are volatility um, and performance. So the performance on a campaign uh, kind of lose its, its impact. Um, pretty quickly and and basically we've on average I'd say the content that we're running that's actually scaled is going to uh, have a life life cycle anywhere from a few weeks to a few months at tops um, and and there's obviously exceptions to this too like you know there's there's brands that go and invest a ton of money in um, these extremely high quality viral videos that you know can can be scaled or repurposed for a very long time. Um, but for, for most brands, right, they don't, they're not putting out that type of content. And, um, and basically, as you scale a piece of content, uh, it's going to go after Facebook's and these platforms are going to show it to the lowest hanging fruit first, right? And the people that are going, it's basically building lookalike audiences based off who's responding best to this content and showing it, your content to those people. And as people stop responding and stop engaging at, at the same, like, clip at the same rate, Facebook's take those signals and say, okay, so people aren't responding as good, your CPMs are gonna go up, and things can drop off pretty fast when you're campaigning and the creatives burn out. And it's not because some people think like, well, my audience is five million people, like I've only reached like 100,000 people, like, or, or a million people, like I, there's still a lot, lot of people in that audience, but it, it, it doesn't just randomly show it to those people. It's gonna show, like they're, these, we gotta know, know these platforms are way smarter than we are, right, at finding, your audience, and uh, and so volatility is the biggest thing. And so we always, no matter the, what account we're on, we're always testing content um, to avoid that volatility. Yeah, that uh, that gets us back to the theme of of going back to marketing fundamentals and doing more testing. So you said the average piece of, sort of winning creative, the king of the hill creative in an ad set, um, is between two and eight weeks. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think it's important to, to bring up here on the pod. In terms of, you take a take a total a total pie worth of spend around a specific product or a specific you know, set of um, set of products that you're trying to advertise on Facebook. In general, I think this comes up a lot. People ask, "All right, you say we should always be testing, always trying to unseat that king of the hill creative, but I also don't want to lose out on potential revenue if this thing is actually is absolutely killing it for us." So let's talk about the percentage balance that you would recommend to you know, advertisers or, or agencies that might be listening uh, around, you know, uh, around the percentage you might want to use to challenge that, that winning creative. Yeah, so in terms of like ad spend, typically what it looks like for us is somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 20 percent. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the nice thing about testing creative is you don't need to invest a lot of money to get a good insights into whether or not this content is going to, or has potential to perform, 
right? And a lot of times what we see happen is something performs very good at a low spend, and then we push it to scaling campaigns and it flops. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to what we were saying about finding those low hanging fruit. And especially if you're running auto bid campaigns, then your bid's gonna, as you increase your budget, Facebook's gonna automatically increase your bid. Um, but yeah, so, so basically you don't need to invest a ton of money into testing these things at a small scale. And then push, as you push, as you find insights and winners into, um, in your testing campaigns, increasing, slowly increasing the budgets on those. And uh, you'll, you'll get a pretty good idea fairly quickly if something's going to, has potential to be scaled. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it's more, I'd say the cost is more on the actual creation side than the testing side. Um, but the nice thing is once you have insights into what's going to perform, right, if you have a winning angle, um, you have, you know, winning piece of content, and like the messaging and like the, the overarching concept of that piece is really good. Then you can make a lot more content that's quite similar to that, um, but it's different enough to have a fresh feel, fresh look, maybe touch on the angle in a different light. Um, and so it's going to resonate with a slightly different audience or maybe people that have seen your content in the past are getting hit with this new content, but at least they're not getting hit with the same piece of content over and over and over again, um, right. which, you know, is, is obviously not gonna perform sustainably. That's a big topic that comes up for us. Actually, we talk about, again, we talk about this concept of testing, the importance of testing. A very common question will be, all right, well, what constitutes an adequate sample size for, I know that this, this creative has major potential or, you know, is, is very much on a path to unseat the, the current winning creative. And I know it's a combination of, you know, total spend, audience reach, and I suppose duration is, is a part of that as well. How would you answer that question? I honestly, I don't have the best answer when people ask me that. Yeah, so it, I think it comes down to budget. Okay. Who's spending $500 or a couple hundred dollars a day is going to be more strained on the testing budget side of things. Um, someone with, you know, a, a large monthly ad spend can test things more thoroughly. I would say the bare minimum that we typically recommend is two to three times the cost per acquisition that you're looking for. Um, so if you're testing piece of content on a conversion campaign and your break-even uh, cost per acquisition is $50, then letting it spend $100, $250, $100, $200. Um, or, you know, some people say 8,000 impressions. Um, I, I'm a, I could be wrong, but I think Facebook might say something along those lines. Um, but I guess the idea is you want to give it at least enough, enough room so that if a couple sales come in and all of a sudden it's profitable, then you're not killing potential winning creatives, right? And the other side to this is you, don't, you shouldn't just be looking at sales, especially if you're testing on a low budget. You should be looking at lead indicators like uh, click-through rate, cost per click, um, and, and because a lot of times what, what makes a scaling creative is that it's driving traffic at a, at a cost that's within your KPI range, right? And so something that's, and it's a balance between conversion rate on site and, uh, and cost of traffic that, that you're able to drive. Yeah, let's, let's keep riffing on that. I was, so 
like there's never going to be you know a substitute for good testing and and we agree there the when you're running tests and, and trying to determine um like to, to you know if it's performing well you said like let's you know you want to double down on that generate more of that what specifically like in the content itself are you looking at and are able to point to and say like this part of the of like the content whether it's an image or a video um like this variable in this piece of content we hypothesize is what's resonating um in front of this audience like does it get as specific as like uh you know this this model has blonde hair um let's get more models with blonde hair or is it is it a little bit more nuanced than that like what variables are you looking at Ideally, you're looking at everything. And, and the way we typically start things um, off on a creative test, if we're just starting off pretty much brand new, we're gonna test different creative types um, from top, even top of funnel, we'll test static, carousel, video, collection. And, and, and more times than not, uh, video creatives are gonna outperform everything else in top of funnel, but not always. And sometimes it might have a lower, it might have a lower cost per click. Um, or sorry, lower click-through rate on the on the static image creative, but the CPM is so much lower that it's actually driving lower lower cost traffic. And if that's the case, then you know, and and it's converting too, and you know, then a lot of times we'll make more content similar to that, and then we move things. Okay, so we know that for this specific account, for this specific angle, static is going to be outperforming video in terms of the cost per click, in terms of overall return. So okay, we have this image here. What exactly is it with this image that's resonating? So if it's maybe we have a female model holding a product or maybe like, let's say that's that's a creative that we test. Okay, let's test a male model. Okay, uh, the control female model outperforms the male model. Okay, so what exactly is it with this female model? Yeah, like like blonde hair, age, um, you know, what, what what's the background like? Is their face in it? Is their face not in it? And all these things can be can be split test, split tested, and you can go really deep on um, on on exactly what it is that's performing. And obviously, these these insights can be can be huge, even though they seem in, insignificant. Um, they can be they can be major uh, majorly impactful to overall scalability, overall return. Um, because all you know, slight differences in click-through rate and cost per click uh, at a, a large scale make a difference. Yeah, and even past ad performance too, right? Like if you you can discover some really, I guess, groundbreaking insights. Like if you were able to identify um, a certain type of creative that featured either a certain type of person or a certain type of environment, you could say, "Oh, I never thought about positioning our product as um, you know to be used in this way," but this ad creative that features it in this way has, you know, really blown up, maybe we should reconsider our website copy and, and like the way we're describing the product and the, and the multiple uses for it. Um, so you really can find out a lot um, that way. And then it's, it's interesting, like you can't, it, it's a good reminder that you can't, you can create a lot of content, but it's got to be diverse, right, to run um, an effective test and not diverse in, in like the subject matter or you know the people that are featured in it but more so like different formats um you know from video to static and then different ways to do like a carousel you need like different types of people different environments so you do really need like a lot of content and i think that's like 
a big hurdle for for brands like when you describe it it's like that's you know that's really great if we can do that but then they think oh man we're gonna have to really like ramp up this this content production well not to mention that that specific test that specific testing process that you just outlined there can be done uh, throughout a variety of different demographics that a brand is trying to reach as well right so when you think about it that way yeah exact different products different demos when you think about it that way, you think about reaching them at different stages of the funnel, different platforms, and trying to have more of a one-to-one communication style, a personalized imagery with uh, or assets with an actual consumer. It really starts to put into put into scope like how much content you really do need. Yeah, and I think I think like a lot of times it can be overwhelming, um, especially you know you get a ton of creative assets made, you throw them all out there, mm-hmm. one's performing, one's you know what I mean like a couple are performing, and then like it's just it's like you don't really have a good idea, good understanding. We try and like simplify things as much as possible because it's uh, it can be quite hectic, right? It can be overwhelming getting an ad account. All, you're just bombarded with so much information, but trying to have a purpose behind what you're running. Um, and you know, a lot of times too, if, if you have a big organic following and you have a pretty good reach on the organic side, you can test out these things on the organic side. Not everyone's in that position, but, um, but it helps to start kind of at the top with the kind of broad test content type, um, angles and those types of things, and then kind of get narrower and narrower and, and have a structure for reporting on all this, hypothesizing, running tests, and uh, and that way you actually get clear insights. Um, and it's not just like running around with your head cut off, wondering why things are working, why they're not. And you're never going to know. You're never going to know everything. But treat it, trying to treat it in more of a systemized manner. Um, and, uh, and same goes for everything. It's not just content. I have a question for you. So you guys have been running ads successfully for Vertiball for what, three or four years now, at least? Okay, yep. So it's funny, not that long ago, but seems like- Very good memory, by the way. Yeah, that was impressive. That was crazy. Uh, it, seems like, uh, yeah, it seems like an eternity ago as far as the, how the ads ecosystem is developed. How would you, if you were kickstarting, you know, their ads, their paid strategy right now, how would you do things differently than the way that you approached it back in September, 2019? And if you remember the specific time or day and time that you, uh, that you started with them, I, we would also appreciate knowing that. <laughs> I believe it was a Tuesday. Uh, beautiful. <laughs> um, so actually when we started with them, we weren't doing content for them. Mm-hmm. We, we just ha- kind of had assets to work with. Uh, we were very limited in assets. I would say one thing we would do differently is put more of an emphasis on content mm-hmm. um, from from the beginning. Um, but yeah, like with with them, it it was it it, it took a lot of of trial and error to um, kind of figure out what what was going to resonate. Um, and I think you know some of our best content, uh, some some of the, the highest quality, the best looking stuff that we've ever made for them uh, didn't perform. Um, and then some of, the, some of the stuff that was, you know, you could say lower production quality, but looking back, you know, breaking it down, um, a, a lot better structured, a lot more, a lot better at handling objections, better social proof. Um, and a lot of that content was built 
through Coley assets because you know it's authentic, it, it feels real, um, and a lot. I think that's one of the biggest issues with UGC. Sorry for going on a tangent here, but no, it's great. Um, I think one of the biggest issues with UGC and the people struggling to get UGC to have uh, ROI is that it's it's not. It doesn't look or feel authentic. It looks salesy. It looks scripted. And that's the whole point of having UGC is it's like real people talking, building that social proof. And so it's going to have the complete opposite effect that you want it to have if it's if people see right through it. Now, there's the other side of social proof, like on the on these TikTok style content that we see coming out. It's like it's clearly like scripted, but it's entertaining. But that's completely different from someone reviewing the product. Um, you know, someone reviewing the product. And it's clearly like, clearly a promotion. Right. So if, if it's going to be a promotion, you might as well just go, go hard and selling it. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, I think, I think like, like investing in authentic UGC um, is really important. Is objection handling something you think about across all of the brands that you do advertising for? Or is that more specific to a, a company like Vertiball? Uh, that requires maybe a little bit more product education around what this rolling ball does for you. No, I think every product has objections of right. some of some form. You know, you get if you're running a lot of traffic, um, then you know you, there's there's a lot of people coming to check out your website. Clearly, they have some level of in interest, but there's something holding them back from buying, and it's up to you as the marketer to figure out what the hell that is that's keeping people from buying, um, and attack those things in your retargeting, in your, you know, your email marketing. Um, and then uh, a lot of times, you know, customers are the best ones at handling those objections because a brand can say whatever they want. But if you have authentic reviews, authentic testimonials, handling those objections, then it's going to work a lot better. But you need to know what those objections are in order to handle them, obviously. Yeah, and that's I think for a brand and like we we joke about it sometimes like the the brand consistency and you know maybe this creative is not on brand um and and we like we we joke about it from time to time but it is a really big concern for a lot of brands um and you know sometimes for for good reason like you don't want to you don't want to lose what you've you've built you don't want to confuse people based on um, you don't want to confuse people away from like what you've designed this brand to like look and feel like and how you're going to be presented. Um, but it seems like, you know, based on real examples and just overall the frameworks of, of testing is that in a lot of cases you have to try out some, you know, weird, unusual, or just most of the time different types of content that might not really align with, with a creative director or, or a CMO or a founder's um, vision for the type of content the brand should should be publishing. Um, is there is there anything you you say to them to convince them otherwise, or is there a way, or or are there any ways in which you can kind of um, maintain that that brand identity, that brand cohesion, while still um, diversifying the the types of of content you're you're testing? Yeah, I think it's a huge debate. Um... Obviously, you know, like we've we've seen it countless times where content that we've created brands don't like from a branding perspective. It's not on brand, and you know 
obviously part of that comes down to managing expectations ahead of time. You know, we, we are a performance agency. Um, at, at the end of the day, people come to us for performance. And so um, I, think, I think part of it is identifying priorities, right? And, and you can have a, a highly branded organic social media um, and still run stuff that might be slightly off, off brand, but more direct response is gonna drive better ROI. Um, and I think at the end of the day, just comes down to identifying your priorities. And it doesn't mean, you know, going from having like Nike's social media to becoming a meme page necessarily, but you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's I, I think in, in my opinion, my personal opinion, I think being different is how you become memorable. Um, and I don't think, I, I think that, you know, TikTok has kind of changed the game too. And, and, you know, people that are spending a lot of time on this, on this platform are all, a lot of the content on there is made to be entertaining. Right. And, um, it's not about high production quality. It's about, um, educating, entertaining and being relevant and sh showing like personality. And, and I think, um, I think people crave that. I think people crave that out of brands, out of businesses, is seeing that personalities, you know, humor. Um, and, uh, and I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be a personal preference or, or you know, a, a company preference. Um, and, and decisions are going to be, need to be made collectively. But I think that's dire the direction that content is going in general, is entertaining, educational, um, and really you know, giving people what they want to see. And you're gonna be rewarded by these platforms because obviously they're designed in a way that they're gonna show uh, content that gives the best user experience. And if it's what people want, it's what the platform will reward. Um, and, uh, and and so especially on the paid side, it's, it's gonna be massive, I think. Yeah, it really seems like that's the new, I mean, that's just the new state of the world. I remember sitting in, in Marketing 301 in college and like, I think we had three lectures on like brand consistency and like, you know, the more consistent you are, the more, um, you know, like share of mind, share of wallet you'll have, like you'll have more brand recall if you're consistent, right? If you're always consistent. And like you said, it's not, it's not to say Coca-Cola should change their color from like red to blue, um, just for the sake of, of being different. But I just think like, <laughs> right. Well, that's very confusing. Maybe like orange is a better color. Um, but yeah, the idea that everything needs to be like buttoned up and consistent all the time is just like, it's not how the, the world is anymore. And I think, I think some marketers are just like, are just slow to, to adopt that. And I think people coming up in, in marketing right now are, are entering a completely different world than what these more tenured marketers have, have been, have been living through. For sure. And I think, I think you can still have a, a consistent brand voice and obviously, you know, still represent your values as a company and still um, still obviously be be professional but I think from there, there's there's ways to do that and and uh, and still follow trends and you know kind of meet society and culture where it's at and um, and not everything's gonna be a hit obviously right a lot of stuff that people do miss but at the end of the day you see these big companies that put out controversial stuff. And at the end of the day, a lot of times it ends up helping more than it hurts. And even though it's not always intended, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, we're, we're 
eyeballs most more of the times than not are, are a good thing. Ryan, you'd mentioned that power, at least historically, has been fairly focused on direct response, more so like bottom of the funnel. I know you guys do everything, but do you feel like these iOS changes or just changes to sort of the, the paid ecosystem in general uh, could change the way that you, you position the agency, the way that you position your relationships with clients to say, you know, jump into you know, doing more with TikTok, exploring more with, with Snapchat and uh, moving into more of like an omni-channel approach? Or do you kind of think of it as like, hey, listen, this is our bread and butter. This is what we're uniquely good at. Let's, let's focus on conversions and, and DR. Yeah, no, I, I think our responsibility to our clients is to give them the best possible chance at success and hitting their goals and their targets. And I think what that means is that we need to adapt as, as times change. And I think, you know, there's paid, paid advertising is, has been around long before these platforms and it will be, you know, it'll be around long after these platforms. Um, I think it's just about, you know, keeping up with, with what's relevant uh, the algorithm changes, which are <laughs> extremely hard to stay on top of by times, but, um, you know, also, also putting plans together and, and making sure that we're looking at things from a big picture and, and making, making sure that they're moving in the right direction and not focusing on, okay, we need to push Facebook because that's our bread and butter. And that's what we need to, you know, we need Facebook to perform in order to keep this client. I think, um, no, I think it's it's much more like we we're we're always thinking on on how we can adapt. We're always testing different platforms, testing different ideas in terms of you know marketing angles and, and content and that type of thing. And I think um, I think Facebook like like you said, people you know a lot of people are acting like the sky's falling with Facebook. Facebook isn't going anywhere. It's going to be a major driver of revenue. Um, but it's just a bit of a wake-up call that we need to we need to make sure that we're looking elsewhere and that we're diversified in a in a media spread. Do you remember the early days of Facebook advertising? Uh, so um, I got I, I got started in like late 2016, early 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so like those those were I would consider now the early days. Yeah. But but I know like. Yeah, I'm just interested in in, uh, in your thoughts on the differences between uh, paid Facebook advertising in the early days versus versus like paid TikTok now. Are there major similarities around say targeting or audience limitations, um, overall like results analytics? Like, how do you think about those two things? So together? I would say probably like. I don't even know when Facebook ad platform officially launched. If it was 2012, somewhere in there, yeah. I would like I wasn't around on the platform at that time, but I would say it's probably something similar to that. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, when I got started, 2016, things were much much easier, much less competition. Um, and, but it was also a mature platform. It had already been around for 10 years or more, you know, 12, 13 years. Whereas TikTok is, I mean, it, it's still like very, very immature and, and they have an insane amount of data considering, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely blown up and you cannot ignore the platform. Um, but I think, you know, it's, there, there's a big opportunity right now on organic TikTok because of the reach that's available. Um, as well on, on the paid side, it's just no understanding that what's working for you on these other platforms will not work for paid ads on, on TikTok. 
And, uh, and, and so I, I would say it's Facebook in order, in terms of uh, marketing in 2016, compared to marketing on TikTok now, I, I would say Facebook is more mature in terms of what was available. Like you can target people by the car they drove, how much money they make, you like, you know, it gets real granular with that. Um, and uh, and they, that's obviously kind of went went down a little bit, like they, they drew that back a little bit, but um, yeah, TikTok is, is very much immature and we'll be, uh, we'll just keep getting better. Yeah. It's a funny way to phrase it. TikTok is immature. It's like you're at the lunch table. Making fun of Gen Z ears. Yeah. Um, yeah. So coming up on time here. Um, and I just have like one, I have one final question and I honestly don't know the answer to it. And at the risk of sounding like an uncultured swine, is Halloween a big deal in Canada? <laughs> yeah, man. It's huge. Gosh, you, I mean, you never know. You got, cause you, you guys just had Thanksgiving. So that's different, but that's more of a national holiday. I, you know, I've never seen people run around in costumes in like London or Paris. I've never seen any pictures of that. So I, I didn't even know if people get excited for it outside of the US. Is that true? It's not big over in Europe? No, I don't know. I don't know that either. I'm just saying I've never seen pictures of it. Um, yeah, man, it's it's pretty big here. What are you gonna be? Jeez, uh, you put me on the spot. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. We're still you 12 should, days away. You should be a cookie and just like, mm. uh, you could be like the death of the cookie, death of the third party cookie. And you could have like blood all cookie over it. Cookie all with yeah. blood all over it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The marketers are going to love that. Joe. That was a cookie monster at uh, one of Eric's, uh, my co-founders, uh, Halloween parties back in the day. And I baked fresh oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and I brought them <laughs> around on a platter and everyone thought that they were special cookies. So no one, no one ate them. So I just ended up eating them all myself. <laughs> I love that you baked them. I, baked them like I was so cookies. proud of myself and everyone looked at me like, uh, no, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> Didn't even cross my mind, honestly. My heart was pure, I swear. Wasn't it like a full face, like costume, like? Uh, yeah, it was like a one. It was essentially a onesie. So they didn't even know who was offering the cookies. No, well, they you, they could see my my face. Oh, you didn't you didn't buy the costume off the guy in Times Square? Oh, I see what you're shit. saying. Like, like the full guy. Oh yeah. yeah. No, no, that would that would be particularly weird. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Tom, what are you going as for Halloween this year? You know what? I don't know. Um, I have a a golf caddy outfit that I've that I've reused a few times. Um, Allison made me throw away my Cookie Monster onesie. So, you know, I don't know. I know. Brutal, right? So unfair. Seriously. Um, yeah, I'm being Ted Lasso, yeah. as I keep telling everyone. Yeah, it's the theme of the episode. Well, I mean, I've been Ace Ventura for the past four years, so I can't do that anymore. I'm excited to see one. that. I, a new one. I think it'll make a good Ted Lasso. Hopefully, I, I really get into it, and I impart some wisdom on some wayward souls that night. Wow. Oh, yeah, it'll be good. It'll a lot be of good. Midwest <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it should be good. We'll see. I hope I get a lot of candy this year. I'm going to canvas the neighborhood pretty hard. Um, yeah, so Ryan, it was awesome having you, man. It's always it's always great chatting with you. And it's it's so great having someone who's just like so 
so hands-on and like in the weeds with this type of stuff because I think you know even if you're involved in your brands or your companies like Facebook even just like media advertisements in general like you a lot of times don't know how it actually works and you clearly know how it works so yeah that was really really awesome and uh, for those listening check out Ryan and Power Media it's a uh, p-o-w-r media.com no e in the power thank you no e yeah that should be your your mission statement power media no e <laughs> i'm not sure what comes up with the e actually it might be might be a competitor so thanks for uh thanks for clarifying that we'll but no guys that. thank you so much for uh, for having me it's been fun uh always a pleasure talking to you guys and uh and looking forward to doing it again sometime you're yeah, the best sure thanks man you're the best take care